Hello, I'm Sarah Connolly and I'm joined today by Annika Todd, a Canadian cyclist who's racing for Tibco and she's just had her first ever spring classic season. She's been blogging fantastically at her blog, annikatodd.com and I just wanted to ask her a couple of questions. Hello Annika. Hi Sarah. <laughs> um, you, you've just been, you're just back in Canada after coming over to Europe. Yes, yeah, I was in Europe for two months and now I'm just home for a few days. How does it feel? I mean, how, how does it feel being home? <laughs> it's uh, It's been really nice just to get back to a bit of normal life after some crazy racing and just being gone. So, you know, riding the same roads that I mm -hmm. started riding on and seeing the same people has been really good. And um, how, did you find, how did you find this spring classic season? It was crazy. It's a whole different scene over there. So I thought I knew bike racing until I went into the spring classics. <laughs> you did really well, though. I was looking down your results and for a first time rider, I mean, you you didn't finish Drenthe, but you got like you're in the top 20 in the Dwarves d'Or Vlanderen. And you were the top Canadian finisher in the Energiewochter. That's pretty damn good. I mean, you finished some races that some really, really experienced riders can't even finish. Yeah, once I like got my feet wet and kind of got used to it, it was definitely improving. So, I mean, the first race I did over there, I hit the deck five times. It was just like, oh my God, what oh, am I doing goodness. here? <laughs> um, but once you kind of get to know the riders, get to know the roads, and it's a lot about just having friends in the peloton too and knowing mm -hmm. where to be and when to be there. Yeah. So once you kind of figure it out, it definitely gets easier. I mean, did you have any expectations of what it would be like before you went? I thought it would be physically difficult. Um, what I didn't think was how technically challenging it is. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the first races, I didn't finish not because I wasn't strong enough, but just because I wasn't in the right place at the right time. And mm -hmm. you miss the move and then you're in no man's land. And it's, it's technically very difficult. And, and I suppose it must be very different because it must be different kinds of roads that you're, that you're used to racing for anyway, you know, like narrow roads. Yeah tight corners, road furniture jumping out at you. Yeah, and just how narrow the roads are and how big the pelotons are. Mm -hmm. I mean, like in North America, it's really highway racing. So it's a small peloton and a huge road. Mm -hmm. So you never really get boxed in. You can always go to the outside of the pack and kind of move up that way. Yeah. But um, in Europe, especially in the spring classics with the cobble strokes and the, the short little climbs and, and the dikes and everything, like an energy back to it, it's so narrow that sometimes you only fit two or three riders across mm -hmm. and the pelotons most of them are 180 185 starters yeah so it's if you're in position 100 there's just nowhere to move up really mm -hmm. I mean that must be crazy and, and you're relatively new to cycling aren't you Yes, it was a year ago that I did my first bike race, and about two years ago that I started riding. That's amazing, though. I mean, just, I can't imagine. Did I mean, when you started your first bike race, did you have any clue where it was going to go? And no, it was, um, I just was riding with a club with uh, some guys, just local guys, mm -hmm. and uh, I was keeping up with the boys, and so they said that I should try racing. And I did, and I kind of just did this little local race called uh, Barry's Roubaix um, in Vancouver, <laughs> And it's a 10-kilometer loop, and five kilometers is on a gravel dike, and five kilometers is on the road. Mm -hmm. And um, I won by seven minutes, wow. which is totally unexpected. So I did a few more races, and then uh, Triple Shot Cycling actually raised enough money to send me to Nationals. Oh, wow. And I finished second in the time trial and seventh in the road race. And wow. then uh, Linda from Tipville offered me a contract. 
it must have been so good for triple shots as well. They must have felt yes. Yeah, it, it was pretty awesome. I mean, to have a group of people that support me that much has just been really amazing. Yeah. I mean, and, and Canada's got such Canada's got such an interesting women's cycling culture. I mean, obviously, there's always been there's always been Clara Hughes, but um, just it, there's so many strong riders over there. You know, this isn't the same as I don't know winning the national championships where you're up against five riders. It's it's a strong strong field. Yes, it was a very strong field. And so you were you were out there with Tibco, and then you stayed out and did did Energy Walk Tour with the national team. Yeah, so basically I was just lacking the experience to do mm -hmm. well in spring classics. And so my director had basically arranged for me to stay and do some like local races and club crits, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then um, because I was over there anyways and the national team was going, they, they offered to have me do a couple races with them Yeah. Uh, before coming back. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, you were the top national team finisher in Energy Walk. That, that, that's nice. Yeah, it was surprising. It was the national team that the riders they sent over are really strong riders. Mm -hmm. I mean, two of them just got a silver medal on the, in the Track World Championships. Yeah. And so they're, they're really strong riders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how, was it different racing with the national team than racing with Tipco? It is very different. The uh, national team, it's it's always a different group of people. Yeah. And so they're strong riders, but you don't have that same uh, cohesion and that, that same just uh, kind of teamwork that you do on your trade team just because you don't spend the hours together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it is a bit of, a bit different. Yeah. I guess it's also, it's people who can't necessarily be full-time cyclists, isn't it? I mean, you're not full-time yourself, are you? Uh, now I am, but before I wasn't. Yeah. So, I mean, it is difficult, especially in women's cycling, just because there's there's no money. So I'm very fortunate to be on a team like Tipco that supports me enough that I can make it my full-time mm -hmm. occupation. But um, a lot of people do have to have jobs on the side to support their cycling. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a bit more about getting into bike, getting into bikes, because you were a runner before, weren't you? I was, Yeah. I was dating a guy at the time that wanted to be a professional cyclist, mm -hmm. and he basically gave me a bike for Christmas um, so that we could kind of ride together as something to do. And uh, so I really just rode a couple times a month with him, and then uh, through him met the Triple Shot Cycling Club, and uh, mm -hmm. would ride with them every once in a while. And yeah, then when I started racing, I kind of made the transition to, uh, to just cycling. I mean, did you know much about cycling as a sport before you started it? I didn't know anything about cycling. I barely knew who Lance Armstrong was. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was uh, everything was new. I had no idea about all the different kinds of racing. Like the only race I knew about was the Tour de France. And <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, I really knew nothing. I mean, I'm always interested in that. Like, did you do do you do research on 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 who's who and what happens or? Or do you let the team tell you about that kind of thing? I do research now um, the women that I'm riding with. Like, it's good to know uh, different people's strengths and who's showing up because it, it kind of gives you a bit of insight into what the race tactics might be mm -hmm. like. Um, but our director also has been in, in the cycling world for 25 years, so he does give us a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. And in the peloton, there's just a lot of gossip. So whenever I am in a race, I try to pick up as much information as I can from everyone else that's there because that's really who knows best. Yeah. 
And um, I, I've loved your stories. And I think one of the stories I liked most was um, you elbowing Kirsten Veald out of the way and stealing her wheel. Yeah, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, probably not the smartest thing I've ever done. <laughs> but she was, she was pretty good about it. I mean, she yelled at me in the race, obviously, but I got to meet her after and and she laughed that I even dared to do that. So um, we've kind of come to kind of an unspoken agreement that I won't push her, she won't push me. So we get along fine now. And, and she's not she's not small, is she? She's, you know, typical seven-foot-tall Dutch rider. She's huge, yeah. She's, uh, you know, about five inches taller than me and probably outweighs me by about 30 kilos. So she's just a giant sprinter. Yeah. And uh, I don't think I... I barely moved her when I elbowed her and, and she elbowed me later and moved me about three feet across the road. So <laughs> really <laughs> not a smart move on my behalf. But I, I mean, I, what I like best about that story was the bit where you said that, you know, she talked to you afterwards and she gave you some advice. I mean, that just was, I know that's sweet. It, it feels... Yeah. You know, a lot of the riders are just really approachable. Um, and I've been so lucky, like with the people that have helped me out. I mean, uh, Kirsten Bild has, has given me a lot of advice and Mariana Voss rode with me and yeah. Ilo Schlappendel, who's another awesome rider on Rabobank, was just really, really helpful. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's so much to learn and there's such a culture within cycling. And so to have these big stars like helping me and teaching me has just been really awesome. Yeah, I mean, your blog about going to Mariana's house and then going riding with her was just... Oh, I mean, that's what you want a sports heroine to be like. You know what I mean? I just, I love that. It was just like yet another example of why Mariana's the queen, <laughs> the queen of cycling. Yeah, she was amazing. You know, just really down to earth and approachable. And and uh, it's just cool to see that all the all the fame and attention hasn't gone to her head. And she's just an amazing person. Yeah, I mean, she's super famous in Holland, isn't she? She's like, you know, she's proper household name over there. And yes. And, and and I love how she, you know, you were saying in your blog that, you know, about her using her powers for good. And, you know, and I'm always inspired by that, like all the time, just. But it's especially nice that she's giving some, let let, let me take a complete newbie rider from Canada. And go right yeah. after. Well, and especially because, like, she's so busy. And for her to take the time out of her day to come ride with me, and I'm really a nobody, um, was was just really awesome. So, because I mean, that's a day that she could have spent training or doing mm. something with one of her friends or, you know, especially with as much as she's traveling and, mm. and for her to take her time when she's at home to come ride with me is, is really awesome. Oh, it's, a sh you know, I guess, I guess you'll have to get her over to Canada and take her out riding on your roads. Yeah. <laughs> well, if she ever wants to come visit, she's definitely more than welcome. I mean, what's, what was, what's the trophy route, the trophy room, the museum like in real life? It's just mind-blowing. I mean, there's just the the volume of what she's accomplished is mm. really amazing. And, uh, I mean, to see how many leaders' jerseys there are and, and how many, like, World Cup trophies or to hold all her UCI World Championship medals. <laughs> and, you know, you're holding, like, five pounds of, of medals. And, and for me, like, one of those would be enough. Like, yeah. And she's got a shoebox full of World Championship medals. So it's just it's just crazy to see and um, yeah it was it was really cool. I think we first found 
about out about you on Podium Cafe when you were over with the Lotte Bellasons the Lotte Bellasol tour because Sylvan on Podium Cafe was like oh this is this is a girl from my club you've got to read her blog she's great yeah <laughs> and you know those those early blogs that you gave us you those insights into the racing are so interesting I mean have you always done writing and things um, not really. I, I was always good at English in school, but mm -hmm. uh, more interested in the sciences. So I really just started the blogging. My coach thought it would be a good idea. And um, just got a lot of positive feedback from my blogs. And so I just kind of stuck with it. I mean, for women's cycling, one of the things that I love about it is the way that riders make their own media. I mean, and fans make their own media too. You know, like it's it's not on TV or it's not covered by the big sites. So people have more of a, I guess, more of an opportunity to portray the sport how they want to portray it? Yes. I mean, do you think about that kind of thing, or, or are you just, like, you know, telling your own stories? I try to, like, really just tell my own story. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like, relating back to the racing, but it's interesting because everyone has a different perspective of what happened, and so my blog might be completely different from my teammates' blog, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's part of what makes it so interesting. It's just that you have all these different stories, especially in women's cycling, because everyone comes from such a different background. Yeah, It's not like men's cycling, you know, where they started when they were 14 years old yeah. and all they've ever done is professional cycling. <laughs> so in the women's peloton, there's people that have, have kids that are lawyers, that are doctors, that have just done crazy things in their lives, and they have all these different paths for how they got into the pro peloton. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really interesting. Yeah, and I mean, have you had any feedback from other riders about your blog? Uh, yeah, from, from a couple, especially like the ones that I've, I've written about. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's cool that other people are, are reading reading the blog. I think it's especially interesting. I think someone on Podium Cafe said you reminded them a bit of um, Ashley Mormon, the South African rider, in her first, you know, her first year when she came over for the first time. There's something, there's something always very interesting about like a first timers. You know view of things yeah i think you notice a lot of things that that the more experienced writers have kind of taken for granted yeah so i try to always share it my experience in a really authentic way and kind of try to put people in my shoes like what it's really like when you just get thrown into a race like head noise blood <laughs> yeah i mean the, that's a, one hell of a way to start the season isn't it yeah i probably could have done the easier race to start with that was <laughs> that was really the hardest race by far. Yeah, and it's always super crashy because they have such a big field and, you know, riders crash in the neutral zone and, you know, they're very harsh about pulling riders out of the race as well. It's kind of, yeah, it's it's one hell of a way to start. But I guess if you can survive Noiseblad, you can survive anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everything else definitely seemed much easier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you obviously rode the Lotto Bellasol tour last year. How how did the Spring Classics compare? Uh, Lotto Bellasol was definitely more mellow than the spring classics uh for for one it was a stage race so the time cuts weren't as brutal but yeah. i mean the spring classics there were some races where the time cut was three or four minutes yeah and in a three and a half four hour race that's really not much yeah so um that was probably like the biggest shock was just how harsh the time cuts were yeah and then uh i mean the cobbles were much harder than I thought they would be. You know, like you think, how hard can it be to ride over, you know, a kilometre or two of cobbles? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's much harder than, yeah. than it looks on TV, for sure. Yeah. And uh, that and, like, the weather conditions. 
you know, like it, it does take a toll on your body and, and affects your performance when it's, it's raining and, and four degrees instead of, you know, sunshine and 20 degrees. <laughs> so, and it makes everything a bit sketchier just because people don't have the same control over their bike. And yeah. so, you know, one person goes down and everyone kind of just slides into it. Yeah. So that was a bit more challenging as well. Yeah. I mean, what have been your highlights of spring, of spring in Europe? Oh, there were so many. I mean, it was it was a long trip, and there's a lot of highs and lows. Uh, I mean, finishing top 20 and, at Rosenflanderland was obviously really exciting for me. That's definitely the best result that I've had in Europe. Yeah. And there was some really strong riders there. So, so that was one of the highs. And, um, yeah, really just helping the team. We had a couple of top 10 finishes with uh, getting, you know, Joanne uh, into the top 10 there was, was really great. Um, just all the travel and the, all the awesome people that I got to meet uh, riding with Mariana was was amazing. Yeah, it was just there was a lot of highs. Yeah, and and what what were your lows? Or don't you want to talk about them? I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, I mean, like it's it's bike racing, right? Like you can't always go the way that you want it to go. So, um, Het Noise Blood was was definitely one of the lows. Like no one wants to go down, and I crashed three times in the first like. 20 kilometers oh god so I was I was there lying in a ditch waiting <laughs> for my team car to pull up and I just wanted to get in the car and for it to be over and my director wouldn't let me he's like no you've got to finish it and oh, no. that was I had a bit of a temper tantrum on the side of the road <laughs> <laughs> you know because you've got another 110 kilometers to go and everything yeah. hurts yeah. and you just want to get in the car but um yeah that was that was definitely the low point, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and had you done much traveling? Had you done much traveling before you started this crazy journey? No, the last six months has been the most traveling that I've ever done. I uh, basically left home in October for a track camp in LA mm-hmm. and then stayed in LA for most of the fall. Went to Tucson for a bit to train with Joel Newmanville mm-hmm. and um, then went back to LA and up to San Francisco for the team training camp, and then was home for just a, just a five or six days, mm-hmm. and then off to Europe for two months. So it was basically from October to now that I've, I was gone. Wow. I mean, and did you get the chance to look around and to see much of the countries you're visiting, or is it just like, you know, race, train, recovery? It kind of depended. Uh, there are definitely blocks where it's just race, train, recovery. Uh, whenever there, it kind of mellowed out with the racing like there's a few days off I did make an effort to to see things because you get to travel all over the world and and it would be a real shame if you got to go to all these cool places and all you ever saw was you inside of your hotel room <laughs> so I did make an effort to kind of um sightsee and do some touristy stuff yeah and what, where's your where's been your favorite place so far I love the Netherlands yeah like the places that I went um especially I stayed near uh, Rotterdam Mm-hmm. And it was just beautiful there. So the training was awesome. There's all these like great bike paths. It's um, and there's so much history there, and it's it's just really gorgeous. Yeah. Will you be doing more? I mean, will you, you? You said you're home for a couple of days. What's what's next? What's happening next? I'm off to Arkansas to do the Joe Martin stage race. Yeah. And then after that, I'm heading straight to California to uh, do some training in the mountains there. Now that I've spent a couple months on the flats in Belgium and the <laughs> Netherlands, and then a tour of California. 
Right. And do you know if you're going to be back in Europe again this year or? The team will be sending a squad over at the end of the summer to get ready for a world championship uh, team time trial. Yeah. So I'm training hard, hoping to make the, the squad for that. Yeah. Do you think Team Canada will give you a shout again or, or is that, I mean, how, how do you know about those things? Do they give you much warning or? They select people based on, on performance and fitness, obviously, mm-hmm. but also the, the type of project that they're doing, uh, yeah. what they're trying to accomplish, what the races are like and which riders are suited to that race. Yeah. So I think I performed fairly well this last time and, and you know, I did my best to be a good teammate and, uh, to work well with everyone that was there so hopefully i'll be hearing from them again oh i hope so cross my fingers for you just because i mean that's a selfish thing isn't it like we love the stories so yeah. <laughs> so riders that tell the stories we want them over god damn it we want them in the giro and in the you know and in the worlds and all of that kind of stuff yeah <laughs> i mean do, do you have any idea of which races you'd like to you know if you if if you know not necessarily this year but like in the future which races you'd like to ride I think as I learn more and just get more solid on the bike, the spring classics are definitely the type of racing that appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the the one day really hard, just, yeah, like the hard man's racing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not much of a mountain rider. Um, so like the Giro and races like that don't really appeal to me as much, mm-hmm. but um the spring classics, I definitely like that kind of racing. Yeah, I mean, which of the which of the World Cups did you ride? I just did the one in Drenthe, the the Bulls World Cup. Yeah, well, I mean, what was what was that like? Was that different from the other races? Because you know, obviously, it, it's it's you know, it's part of that three days, you know, three days of racing, and it's kind of there's all sorts of you know pressure about it being the first you know the first World Cup of the season and kind of the kickoff for the classics. Yeah, that race was really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, um, basically, it, we went over the Bamberg, which is this landfill, and it's just a super steep climb. Yeah. It was at the 10-kilometer mark out of 150. Yeah. And uh, went over the top, and then you came down to the bottom, and you turned right into this, this wicked crosswind section. <laughs> and so that's how the race started, which was really not... Um, <laughs> A gentle kind of beginning. <laughs> the when you go into the Vambag, you go in on this bike path that's wide enough for about two people. Wow. And so of course everyone's fighting to be in the first, you know, twenty or thirty positions going into that because that's really gonna set the tone for the rest of your race. Mm-hmm. And um I didn't really quite manage to get into that front position and then of course there was a crash um with people trying to get in there. Uh, gap open up so then you're chasing before you even at the hill mm-hmm. and then um, you're still climbing and people are already descending on the other side going you know 60 70 kilometers an hour so you get the yo-yo effect mm-hmm. and uh, so at the bottom of the hill I turned in the crosswind section and the front group had already gotten away and so I spent the next 10k or so chasing with Chantel Block and just suffering <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was a hard race. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with Chantal Black, that's good company. Yes. Yeah, she is a really, really strong rider. So yeah. she and, definitely did a lot of the work to get us back up there. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, she was Tibco last year too, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to see how well she's doing this year. I mean, she won a stage at Energy Bach. She yeah. won uh, Novalon. Uh, yeah. 
She won one of the Drenta races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Euro Cup for the yeah. World Cup even. She's been having, I mean, she was an under 20, I think she was under 23 European champion a couple of years ago. And she was just, she's just having this season of her life. She's so on fire at the moment. So, you know, if you can keep up with Chantal, you're doing well. <laughs> yeah, she's incredibly strong. Obviously, Energy Walk Tour just finished last week. And that's the first European stage race of the season. We look, we laugh about it because, you know, you look on the maps and it doesn't look particularly challenging. But obviously, it's all about the wind and the positioning and the terribly narrow roads. You know, what was your first what was your first taste of Dutch stage racing like? It's definitely all about the wind. So basically like wherever that first crosswind section is, yeah. The the front just drops the hammer and you're in for like a world of hurt until you turn the next <laughs> corner. Yeah. And that's really what decides the race. So yeah, on paper it looks really easy, you know, there's there's no cobbles, there's there's no hills and yeah. we, there's nothing super technical except for the one stage where you go through this little soldier town. Yeah, on paper, it looks like it would just be the easiest week of racing ever. And then you get out there, and you know, someone like Ellen Van Dyke, for example, goes to the front in one of those crosswind sections. And <laughs> that echelon at the front, it's it's really, really hard. So, and it's just fast. Like, one of the stages we averaged... Uh, the, the 100, 100 kilometer stage or something, we averaged almost 42 kilometers an hour. Wow. So it's it's really fast. <laughs> in the first stage, like the first break, the first echelon happened in the first 10 kilometers, didn't it? It did, yeah. And the same thing um, on the last stage as well. It was just the way that the wind was. Yeah, it happened really early. We joke about the Dutch women having been riding in those winds since they were like four years old, you know. <laughs> It's just yeah. natural, you know, riding in those pelotons and in those winds and in, since they were four years old. But I mean, how do you, how do you learn about that? Um, I'm lucky because our, our director knows a lot about it. Right. And so he would always tell us like what kilometers are important. And then yeah. five kilometers before you get to that point, you have to move up in the peloton. Yeah. Um, but you just learn how to you know, read the weather forecast and, and the, the, the race Bible and and just, um, yeah, knowing where the wind's coming from and what that means for the race, yeah. uh, knowing where it's open and where it's covered. Um, if you do get dropped from a group, knowing where to chase and, yeah. and where it's a waste of energy to chase. Mm-hmm. So it's, but yeah, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. I mean, how, how's, how's this European block changed you as a cyclist? I think it's made me a smarter rider and being like, I've always been a strong rider. Like that's how I did well in the, in the time trial. Yeah. And I think when you're a strong rider, you don't in North America, you don't necessarily have to race smart because you're strong enough to just be there. Yeah. Um, but in, in Europe, especially in the spring classics, being really strong isn't enough. Mm-hmm. So you're forced to race smart. Like you can't, you can't just sit out in the wind because you're really strong because there's 180 other girls that are also really strong. Yeah. So um, just learning when to work, when is it smart to work, when when to hide, uh, when to recover. Um, yeah, and just not wasting energy. Yeah. And, and this is going to be a strange question, I guess, but do you still, you know, do you love it? Do you still love it now you've come back? I think I, I love it more now. Yeah. Yeah, the, the racing here, I mean, the culture around it is amazing. 
people are so into it and it's, it's just this big party atmosphere and you know you come through the start finish on each lap and there's music going and people cheering and and it's like seeing the excitement and just all that positive energy around it it's mm-hmm. just made me love it even more oh that's really nice that's really nice to hear because you know especially you see some riders who come across from north america or from australia and they can go home completely demoralized you know, completely and never come back, you know, never come back to race in Europe again. And it's, it's, you know, never want to. So it's nice that it's, it's nice when it doesn't have, when that doesn't happen. Yeah. I think you have to go over with realistic expectations mm-hmm. um, and know that you're going to get your ass kicked. Probably, <laughs> you know, because you're racing against people that have been doing this for years and they're the best riders in the world. And mm. it's some of the most challenging courses in the world. And uh, you just have to, go over and have have learning goals in mind more than performance goals mm-hmm. and enjoy what you're doing and I mean a lot of people get get scared just because it's so aggressive and so just like there's a lot of crashes and everything mm-hmm. but I mean that's part of bike racing right like everyone's gonna go down and most of the time you'll lose a bit of skin but it's really for what you get to do and how amazing the sport is a little bit of road rash is probably worth it <laughs> So I've got a couple more questions. Um, I've been asked to ask you your nickname, the Beast. Where does that come from? <laughs> That's um, I got given that nickname years ago when I was in high school. I was on the wrestling team, uh-huh. and I was the only girl. <laughs> and my coach gave me the nickname, the Beast, and it kind of just stuck. <laughs> yeah, it's like Annika, the Beast, taught that's sort of taught on your um, as your strapline. I love it. And um, yeah. and I noticed on your blog you've got a couple of causes that you're that you're you know supporting, and, and that's really nice. Do you want to tell us a bit about those? Yeah, so I basically wanted to do something meaningful with my athletic career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being an an athlete, especially at the elite level, you do have a lot of people that look up to you, and um, so the one thing is is healthy body image. I think there's a lot of pressure, especially on on young women to to have this unrealistic body basically mm-hmm. and um so I want to kind of portray just a healthy um a healthy body and kind of have the emphasis you like you don't have to be a size zero you have to be healthy you have to be strong mm-hmm. and it's not like what you look like it's who you are and what you do and and not what your gene size is so yeah. that's just something that I've always felt very strongly about um the other thing is is brain injury um I've been cycling is, has one of the highest incidences of brain injury mm-hmm. and it's, it just really affects every aspect of the person's life and it's it's a challenging one because they they look like they did before you know it's not like they have a broken arm or some kind of physical injury that you can see mm-hmm. and so it, it makes it very challenging for them when they they try to go about their life after the injury and um so i've been involved with the victoria brain injury society for about four years now and um it ties in so well with the cycling because of the prevalence of, of head injuries in cycling yeah that i'm just trying to kind of marry those two yeah for cycling fans obviously ina yoko teutenberg last year had her big crash you know her big bro you know which left her you know kind of with a, with a brain injury and reading her blogs and interviews about, you know, the impact it's had on her life and on her mental health, you know, her, it's just been, 
yeah, it's it's she's going to be doing a couple of stages with um with a uh, Clara Hughes on Clara's big ride. Oh, awesome! Yeah, it's it's a really hard one because you know, you you see on TV, especially in the men's races, you know, riders cheered for you know landing on their head and then getting up and finishing the race with concussion, and you're like, oh, that's just not right. No, I think um, at the end of the day, it's it's just bike racing, yeah. and your your health needs to come first because you get one brain. And there's a thousand bike races. Yeah. So, yeah, the attitude, I think, needs to change a little bit there. Yeah. And with mental health and with brain injury, it's just people just don't understand. Um, there's not enough information out there. And I think um, just educating people and things like Clara's Big Ride and like what Jillian Carrington's doing with raising yeah, awareness yeah, yeah. of mental health as well. It's just been, uh, it's a really good direction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going. yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, about, about the Canadian riders. You know, I think of the Canadian riders and I think of the, you know, the Olympic medals and I think of Clara Hughes and I think of Gillian Carlton being so outspoken, you know, so so honest about their, you know, so honest about their depression and 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 that, that helps other people too. You know, and that's, that's you know, using their powers for good again, I guess. it's It yeah. seems like it's an interesting culture. It's, it seems like it's an interesting cycling culture. Yeah, it, it definitely took a lot of courage for the two of them to be so outspoken about it because it is a taboo subject. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of respect for both of them for just being so open about it. And I mean, it does help so many people. Yeah. And the, just the awareness it raises and the understanding it raises uh, is is really great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your time today. Um, is there anyone you'd like to thank or anyone, any sponsors you'd like to shout out to? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Triple Shot Cycling, who got me here in the first place, and uh, Tipco, who's been just standing behind me and giving me all the opportunity to develop mm. as a rider, and then um, all the people that made the, the Euro campaign, especially staying after possible. So my director, Harry van der Horst, uh, Svein Taft, all the people that have been, been helping me out, Global Relay. So, yeah, it was it was really awesome. I learned a lot. So. Thank you to all those people. <laughs> and if people want to follow you, where can they find you on the internet? I've got a website. It's uh, www.annikatod.com. I'm also on Twitter, AnnikaXXTod, and I have an athlete Facebook page. And that's Annika with one N and Todd with two Ds if you're looking out for her. And I'll put links to Annika's blogs and the stories I particularly like on our, my website, prowomenscycling.com com so um thank you so much for your time really 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 good luck <laughs> thank you i hope you have a fantastic year and i hope you're telling us even more brilliant stories all the way through all right for sure thanks sir